0: Before I get into a, a really quick message, I want to invite my friend Courtney up quickly. Um, yeah, can we give it up for Courtney? Um, Courtney is, is, is an incredible part of our family, and, and she celebrated a, a pretty big milestone a few weeks back, and we haven't had the opportunity to do this, but she would just like to say something real quick, if that's okay.
1: Hey, you guys. Um, can we just lift it up like real quick? <laughs> It's Christmas time, and uh, we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. You know, I am so grateful for Jesus, and like, not only did he save my life, but he saved yours too. You know, it's a big deal. (laughs) Um, so I just celebrated four years clean and sober on November (laughs) twentieth, and um, man. You guys have been here with me every step of the way, and I'm so grateful. Um, I'm pretty much just without words to express the gratitude that I have for all of you here in this church, my family, um, for sowing seeds into my life and helping me build that foundation to where I'm at right now. (laughs) It's crazy, sorry, you guys. (laughs) This last year, I've learned so many things. I've gone through a lot of stuff since I've been sober, and uh, it's just been amazing to me that I discovered that not, I didn't have to do it by myself anymore. Um, not only did I have like an amazing father, but I have all of you guys who grab my hand and walk with me every step of the way. And I just wanna say thank you. Awesome.
0: We love you. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, four years clean and sober and, um, and, and thriving. She's got amazing children and has um, been promoted from time to time to management positions and has a car and a place for her girls to sleep. And guys, if you know anything about addiction, that, that's a miracle. And so we're, we're celebrating you, um, and uh, I'm just going to pray real, real quick, and we'll get on with it. But Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, all that it means, all that it holds. And God, beyond any song that is sung, beyond any word that I may speak, I ask today that you would uh, dive deep into the hearts of each and every one of us and bring revelation of what this really means to us, and I ask that each person in this room would hear in their own known language for what they need for today and what they need to face tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And uh, parents with with kids, we, we do have the nursery available still right next door in the dressing room and also a nursing mother's room if you need a spot to change a diaper and feed a baby. Changing diapers? We have one of those um, diaper genie things that's about this big, and uh, we emptied it about once a day. Maybe at, on average, one and a half days, but that's a lot of diapers. Anyways, speaking of babies, Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, I'm going to quickly read this. My, my dad pretty much spoke my message this morning already, but it's worth revisiting. Isaiah chapter nine, verse two through seven. The people who walk in great darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod Just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Isn't that good? And sometimes to um, understand the people who walk in a great darkness and sometimes to understand how bright the light is, you have to understand how dark the dark is. Would you agree? And um, where we pick the... Christmas story up, typically, is Matthew and Luke. Those are popular Christmas stories to use in the Gospels. And, and, and sometimes we forget that there was a lot of history. that We would call it the 400 years of silence leading up to the book of Matthew. From Malachi to Matthew, there was 400 years of, of silence, of, of turmoil, of toiling. And, and I, I, if it's okay, I'm, I'm going to read briefly out of an a, a uncanonized passage by the Maccabees it, it, it's an apocryphal writing, but it, it's a really historical accurately historical account of what happened during those four hundred years. But I just want to quickly set the page for how dark those days really were, and so he, he's writing about this these, these people, God's chosen people, the Jews, and they had been on a journey, would you agree from, from Genesis on it had been a journey, to say the least, and, and so. In, in this 400 years, power is overturned multiple times. They get overthrown by the Greeks, and then Maccabe- the Maccabees form this rebellion, and they overthrow the Greeks, which power to the people, you know what I'm saying, the Maccabees. And then they eventually get overthrown by the Romans. And what happened, though, with these Greeks was this guy named Antiochus was incredibly corrupt. He was a terrible man, and he actually defiled all that the Jews held precious. And I'm just going to read an excerpt. This is, this is pretty Intense, and I'm sorry to start the Christmas message off this way, but just bear with me. Maccabees, this is First Maccabee chapter one, verse twenty. It says this: and after that, Antiochus had smitten Egypt, he returned again in the hundred forty and third year and went up against Israel and Jerusalem with a great multitude, and entered proudly into the sanctuary and took away the golden altar, and the candlestick of light and all the vessels thereof, and the table of the showbread and the pouring vessels and the vials and the censers of gold and the veil and the crown and the golden ornaments that were before the temple, all he pulled off. He took also the silver and the gold and the precious vessels. Also he took the hidden treasures which he found, and when he had taken all away, he went into his own land, having made a great massacre, and spoke very proudly. Therefore there was a great mourning in Israel in every place where they were. So the princes and elders mourned, the virgins and young men were made feeble, and the beauty of woman was changed. Every bridegroom took up lamentation, and she that sat in the marriage chamber was in heaviness. The land was also moved, for the land was moved for inhabitants thereof, and all the house of Jacob was covered with confusion. All the house of Jacob was covered with confusion. And we look at the rest of the years leading up to the book of Matthew, and there was confusion. There was this remnant of people that went off into the wilderness, and Antiochus, he chased them down, and and he ordered a massacre. And so there was mourning, and there was weeping, and there was confusion in the house of Jacob over God's chosen people for a long period of time. So when when we see this scripture, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. That darkness was very dark. You could say it was a very bad day. It was actually a lot of bad days, 400 years of bad days. And... I just want to quickly reference the 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 bible the the birth of Jesus narrative and how scandalous and crazy it actually was, because how many of you sometimes feel like an absolute fool when you're giving account for your faith and and you you bring up the virgin birth <laughs> you guys are like as a pastor, this is my job like my job hinges on a thirteen year old girl being impregnated by the Holy Spirit giving birth in a manger like that's what I do for a career i'm I, It, it, it's absurd, really. And so I just want to pick apart the story a little bit and, and hopefully bring some hope to it. Because I know that for some of us, maybe it's felt like 400 years of darkness. Can I get an amen? Not too loudly. <laughs> um, and so we're going to start um, with Zechariah. So in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this tor- turmoil... Um, we see in Luke 1, Zechariah, who's the father of John, who we'll discover is a priest, and he's in the temple in his repetition. He is in his routine. He is a Jewish man who would have had religious duties in the temple, and, and get this, so this is in my own language, these, these things on the right-hand side, so if they are grammatically incorrect, I am sorry. I wrote them myself, and I'm proud of them. So Zechariah. He has an angel encounter in the temple and was left mute. That's funny, right? After 400 years, an angel just shows up and then he can't talk anymore because he tells him about the son that he's going to have. And get this, his, his wife, Elizabeth, they're, they're 60 plus years old. She's barren. They don't have any children. They've been shamed um, because with, if you don't have children, it's actually a reference to his priestly duties that he's doing something wrong. So he should be displaced because he doesn't have kids. And so that's pretty funny after 400 years. An old man has an encounter with an angel, he can't talk, and then he's going to have a baby. And I I love to think, because she didn't necessarily get impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Like, he had to come home, can't talk, and explain to Elizabeth what was about to happen. (laughs) Earmuffs, children. And so here's Elizabeth, this is funny, she becomes pregnant at the age of 60 plus, because that's really normal. That happens all the time. And then there's Mary. She's a 13-year-old who becomes pregnant by a message from an angel or an angle. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Because that's really normal to happen. After a long time of being in turmoil and in darkness and shamed, uh, for an angel to appear and say that you're about to conceive by way of the Holy Spirit. That's normal, right? That, ha- that happens all the time. No. And then there's, there's her, her poor fiance, Joseph. An angel, got it right, appears to him with the name of the baby his fiance is carrying, who he had no union with. That's pretty normal. Would you agree? No. It's absurd. Especially in light of what these people had been going through for so long. And then who else is next? Joseph's family. So I'm going to maybe throw you guys for a loop. Jesus was not born in a barn. He was laid in a manger. But See, Joseph was a descendant of David, so there's no way that they walked into Bethlehem and couldn't find a place to have a baby. They, the hospitality in the Middle East is incredible. It was, it is, and, and I'm sure always will be. So in custom, in culture, they would have found a house to have a baby. But the, where we get this term is that there was no room in the inn. That word actually means guest room. So there was actually more family there. The guest room was full. They come knocking on a family member's door. And they say, can we have our baby here? And the manger is, is actually in the living room because the animals were in at, at, at night to keep the house warm. And so he was born in the living room amongst family, which I think is a beautiful picture of, a, a, of probably a peasant family. And so here's Joseph's family. They get drug into this whole thing after years of Turmoil morning, and they get a knock on the door with a request for God to be born in their living room, (laughs) right? Because that happens a lot. (laughs) And then here's the Magi. These are magicians from an unrelated religion who follow a star to find a baby, (laughs) because that is exactly how if God was gonna come into the world and be the Redeeming Savior of His people, He He would put a star in the sky. So these grown men could see a star, and then go find a baby. (laughs) That makes no sense. But the beauty of God is this, is that in the Magi, so this is basically, and sorry if this offends you, Harry Potter was invited to the birth of Jesus. (laughs) These these were magicians, and they were of an alternate religion. You could say a false religion, but in that religion, since the beginning of time, God dropped a half-truth, a portion of his truth into their half-truth, that there would be a star that would rise in the east. And, and you, you must follow that star. And so they're watching the skies and watching the skies. And if you look at a map, it's supernatural because the star rose in the east, but then they went west. If you look at a map. <laughs> That's normal. <laughs> and so here come the magi. There's the shepherds. An angel appears to them while they are at work with orders to leave work and go see a baby. Did that happen to you this week? I didn't think so. There's Anna and Simeon in their old age. Elderly prophets who had finally seen the fulfillment of what they were believing for all along. Why do I go through this list of people? It's because Jesus was to be named Emmanuel. Correct? Meaning God with us. And when I look at this list of names, when I look at Joseph, Zechariah, and the shepherds, and Anna, and, and Simeon, and, and the Magi, and Joseph's family, and Elizabeth, and, and, and Mary, I, I can put, uh-oh, we went right back to the, here we go. I can put myself right back in the middle, I'm not going to tap too far because I'll. Mess it up. But uh, I don't know about you, but John could be in the mix of that, and, and I might just never know. Because here's the deal. In the repetition of a nation for thousands of years, in their treading, in the promise back in Isaiah 9, that 700 years had passed by from when the prophet spoke to when Jesus appeared. So there was an entire nation of people, a remnant, that were just repeating. And they were faithful, and they, 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 they stuck to their convictions for the most part. But could you imagine the perseverance required for 700 years from the prophetic word to the promise fulfilled? And then in God fulfilling his promise, he chose an incredibly unlikely group of people. A really random story. If God would have known, this is what we think. If God wanted to be effective in displaying his message and getting the word out, he would have used a, 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 a LED screen in the sky, or, or he would have used the king on, on a white horse, or he would have used something that in the eyes of the world would have been um, something of strength and honor and valor. And, but no, he, he chose shepherds and magi and a 13-year-old and her fiance and his family, and he, he chose some shepherds who were really low in their class. And um, he said, this is actually the framework for which I'm going to fulfill my promise. Because it's God with us. It's not a theory. It's not just a good idea. The fact that God used the framework of these ordinary people means that he was with them, he is with them, and he always will be with them. Because them is us. Them is us. I'm sometimes a magi, I'm sometimes a shepherd, I'm sometimes Joseph, and I can expect in the midst of my life and sometimes the repetition and the routine, and as we reflect on the video, the farmer just going to the field and sowing and the single mom going to work and and just trying to provide, I can expect because I'm one of them that suddenly an angel would appear, and suddenly a, a promise would be fulfilled in my life because Emmanuel means God. With us, he, he was with them, he, he's with them, and he will be with them, and, and them is us. Them is us. And so I want to encourage you this Christmas season that, that you're part of the story. You can have a strong expectation that because God was so scandalous in his display, then he will be so scandalous in his display in your life. Maybe there has been addiction. Maybe there has been, like we said, 400 years of darkness. Maybe you are the single mom. Maybe you are the farmer who is trying to make sense of the toil of everyday repetition and routine. Maybe that is you. Maybe you can relate. But here's the deal. In that perseverance, God is fulfilling his promise. God with us. He has been with you. He is with you. And we can know for sure that he will be with us. And, and here's the other beautiful thing is in Galatians, it says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Ha <laughs> When the fullness of time had come. Do you think God saw the state of the world He said, this is going downhill quickly, so I better, I, I better, no, no, no. In his ideal situation, he would come into the world when Herod was king and there was mass murders of infant babies. In his ideal scenario, he would drop the savior of the world into the womb of a 13-year-old when there has been incredible oppression, depression, displacement, persecution, massacres. No, that was the fullness of time that God saw. You know why again is because if he could do it then, he could do it now. If Jesus came when it was all roses in this world and the news that I see and the circumstances that I'm involved with, in, if Jesus came when it was all roses, I would have a hard time believing that he was going to do it again now. But if he did it then, he'll do it again. In the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born right in the middle of the law, born right in the middle of oppression, born right in the middle of death. To redeem those who were under the same circumstance. And so that through that we might receive adoption. As sons. And can I say as daughters. That we might become sons of God. In relation to God. And really that's what this is about today. Adoption. Being adopted in. And I love that. God goes out of his way for me. and I, I say that often, and, and some mornings I wake up, and I don't know if this is theologically correct, but I'll just say, God, I need you to go out of your way for me today. <laughs> I, I need an angel encounter. I, I need uh, an immaculate conception, if you will. I need something that's so out of the ordinary. I need something that's so supernatural. God, I need you to go out of your way for me today. And you know what the crazy thing is? Whether this is theologically correct in your mind or not, he does. He does, he, and, he, and he'll do it again. And so what he does when he interrupts my life, when he brings his presence, his fullness, his goodness, is that the one thing he does consistently is he will remind me that I am a child of his. He'll remind me that I'm, I'm a son and you're a daughter, And I've shared this before, but the beautiful thing about adoption is this, that adoption means that you are choosing a child not because you have to, but because you want to. See, God wasn't necessarily obligated to go on this journey of bankrupting heaven, coming to earth in humility as a baby. He wasn't necessarily obligated. He didn't have to, but he really wanted to because on the other side of that he he saw an inheritance of sons an inheritance of daughters those who would trust him and love him and grow with him see in a, in a man's heart he he plans his ways but the lord directs his steps you know Jeremiah 29:11 it's probably on your wall i know the plans i have for you declares the lord who knows the plans he knows the plans the most frustrating thing about that verse is that i, I apparently no one else gets because they keep putting it on their refrigerators and walls is that that means that I don't know the plan. <laughs> For he knows the plans but I don't know the plans. But what I can expect is in not knowing the plans there's going to be some intervention. There's going to be some miracles. There's going to be some encounters. There's going to be some rescues. Because if he did it then he'll do it again. And uh, I know that because he came that way, he'll come that way again. See, a light has come, and a light is coming. A light has come, and a light is coming. I promise you that whatever the dark is in your life, God's light will illuminate. It'll bring peace. It'll bring wholeness. It'll bring freedom. I've seen him do it too many times, ever think he wouldn't do it again. And to reference this again before we close, the team could come, and we're going to worship as we go. Heavenly Father, I ask now that you would bring your illumination. You would bring your light. And you would begin to bring hope and bring healing. And God, I ask for a certain type of boldness on each and every person in this room. To believe that maybe if it could happen to Mary, it could happen to us. If, it, if the shepherds could, could hear the voice of an angel and it would lead them into promise and purpose, may, maybe, maybe we could too today. Even the Magi caught in false religion. If you would drop a truth in the middle of their world, could we ever think that you wouldn't drop a truth in the middle of our world right now? So Holy Spirit, would you do what you do best and lead us into truth? This morning, with every eye closed and head bowed, I, I don't know what brought you into this room this morning. I don't know your story. I don't know your name, but I know a story, and I know a name. And that story says that not even death could hold that name. See, the deepest darkness cannot hold Him, and I can promise you the deepest darkness cannot hold you. See, Jesus' future was interesting. I've got two little babies, and I want them to live with purpose, but... I could not imagine Mary knowing what the fate of her son would be, the heartache and the pain of knowing that her son would one day die a brutal death on a cross, be crucified, humiliated, sabotaged. He would be turned over by a friend and betrayed. See what started in a manger, went to a cross. And now ends on a throne. But this morning I want to just give you an opportunity to reflect in your own heart what that all means to you. That this baby born of a virgin would live a perfect, sinless life. The accused, beaten, bloodied, hung on a cross so that he could save the world from their sins, that they would no longer be separate from God, but they would have a way. They would have a, a grace. They would have a mercy. They would have a forgiveness that would pave the way for them back into perfect relation, relationship, undefiled, where the veil is torn. That sort of relationship with God. So God, I ask this morning that you would help us to understand that our sins are forgiven, no matter the darkness, no matter how long that darkness was, no matter how bloody that darkness was, that God, you are a God who intervenes, who places your truth right in the middle of our reality, and you bring life, you bring hope, you bring healing. And I pray that, and I declare that over each and every one of you today, that in this Christmas season, in the midst of gift-giving and family, and all that the season entails, that you would remember that you're part of this story. If he did it for them, he'd do it for you. He'll do it for your uncle. He'll do it for your cousin. He'll do it for your grandmother. He'll do it for your neighbor. God is in the business of seeking and saving all that is lost. And he will use an interesting framework, and he'll use normal people to be partakers in it. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome.